Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, that is to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all who pe- the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Let's now turn to 1 John chapter 5. So these are the letters of John. So that's towards the very end of your Bibles. You get the first letter of John, chapter 5. And we'll read from verse 13 to 21. One John five is thirteen. These things I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that what we that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Uh, There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Or wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So, Father, reading from God's holy word, let's sing together from Psalm 51, Psalm 51, verse 4. Well, then let's turn to the Canons of Dort, the teachings regarding the doctrines of grace. And now we'll consider the perseverance of the saints from the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 6. And if you have your book of praise in front of you, this is on page 583. We'll be reading this and then the rejection of errors, and number 3 and 4. First of all, then page 583, article 6, God will not permit his elect to be lost. So uh, previously, it's been quite some time now, 
uh, since I've been preaching in the afternoon. Uh, I preached from Articles 4 and 5, that saints may fall into serious sins and the effects of such sin. And now Article 6, that God will not permit His elect to be lost. For God, who is rich in mercy according to the unchangeable purpose of His election, does not completely withdraw His Holy Spirit from His own, even in their deplorable fall. Neither does He permit them to sink so deep that they fall away from the grace of adoption and the state of justification, or commit the sin unto death, or the sin against the Holy Spirit, and totally deserted by Him, plunge themselves into eternal ruin. We just turn a few pages further to... um, page 586, we have the rejection of errors, and we're going to read numbers 3 and 4. So these errors are what the Arminians, those opposed to Reformed teaching, uh, were teaching, and the refutation then is the biblical response that the synodort gave. So number 3, this is what the error, so this was what was wrongly said. It was said, true regenerate believers can not only can fall completely and definitely from justifying faith and also from grace and salvation, but indeed they often do fall from them and are lost forever. Okay, so here's the refutation, the answer to that. This opinion nullifies the grace of justification and regeneration and the continuous preservation by Christ, contrary to the clear words of the Apostle Paul. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. That's Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. And contrary to the Apostle John, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's 1 John 3, verse 9. And also to the words of Jesus Christ, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's John 10, verse 28 and 29. Here's number four. The error. True regenerate believers can commit the sin that leads to death or the sin against the Holy Spirit. Refutation. The same Apostle John, after speaking of those who commit the sin that leads to death and forbidding prayer for them, immediately adds, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, namely with that kind of sin, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. It's 1 John 5, verse 16 to 18. So in this sermon, I'd like to focus on this, but in particularly then in connection with that, talk about the sin against the Holy Spirit. So dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if the Bible's teaching about sin against the Holy Spirit makes you feel uneasy, even fearful, you are not alone. Throughout the history of the Christian church, many people have agonized over what this sin is and whether or not they themselves have actually committed it. What did Jesus mean when he said that the one who sins against the Holy Spirit will be forgiven 
will not be forgiven. Why did he say it? And how should the Christian, particularly the troubled Christian, the Christian who knows and understands just how far he has fallen into sin, and who knows also of the, the seriousness of sin he's committed recently or long ago, how should that Christian respond to this teaching? Well, turning to what we've read from the Bible, and considering this in the light of the, the doctrine, the teaching of the perseverance of the saints, as confessed in the Cantidort, I proclaim God's word to you under this theme. God will not permit His elect to sin against the Holy Spirit. God will not permit His elect to sin against the Holy Spirit. Two points. First, a serious warning. Second, an enduring comfort. First of all, then, a serious warning. Well, in order to understand the Bible's teaching regarding sin against the Holy Spirit, we first need to know what it is. We read together from Matthew 12, which speaks about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Other Gospels speak specifically about sin against the Holy Spirit. It's exactly the same. Uh, we also read from 1 John chapter 5, which speaks not about sin against the Holy Spirit, but about the sin that leads to death. Now, we're going to look at Matthew 12 in a moment. First of all, we'll have a closer look at, at 1 John 5, and we're going to be looking at these two passages in parallel. So first of all, then, uh, if we turn to 1 John chapter 5, uh, we read there in 1 John 5, verse 16 and 17, it says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, this is a rather puzzling uh, few verses in Holy Scripture. Now, when John wrote these words, we can assume that the people who first read them understood what he'd meant. In all likelihood, uh, he and others would have taught about these things and they would have known exactly what he was speaking of. Since then, however, there's been a lot of debate about what exactly this sin really is. In the early church, there were some people who were quick to say that this was the sin of apostasy. And apostasy is, is a, a rejection of the faith. of Someone who had confessed his faith in Christ and then turned around and denied him. Now, in the early church, there were quite a few people who had actually done that, also in the face of severe persecution. And so in the time of the Roman Empire, there were specific eras and times when, when Christians were placed under inc incredible pressure and under the threat of death, of horrible death, and also under the threat of the death or the horrible suffering of their loved ones, Christians were called upon to deny the Christ. And sadly, many of them did. But later, these many, some of them at least, they turned and they said, I have sinned, and I have done so wickedly and wrongly in denying the Christ. And with tears, they repented. And they sought to be forgiven and received back, not only by God, but also by His church. 
But there were some in the early church, the Donatists, for example, are those, who refused to receive them back, who said, you cannot come back in such a circumstance. And amongst them were also then who would say that this was indeed that sin that would lead to death. But that doesn't really fit with what we read in Scripture. Yes, we've read in Scripture about God not taking His Holy Spirit away from His people. But it also doesn't fit with certain examples of Scripture. The most obvious example would be Simon Peter himself. The one who had confessed so clearly in Matthew chapter 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then when Satan sifted him like wheat at the time of Christ's crucifixion, he denied him not once but three times. But what had Jesus said prior to him denying him when Jesus said that this would happen? He said that he had prayed for him. And we also know that later Christ restored him, even to his position amongst the disciples. And so there's good reason for us to recognize that the Scriptures itself teaches us that this is not that sin that leads to death. That if someone has even rejected Christ with his words, but then repented, clearly he has not committed that sin which can never be forgiven. But then what does it mean? Well, another uh, common way of understanding this, particularly from the time from the early church, is that sins committed against God have been uh, divided into two categories. Serious sins and less serious sins, or actually venial and mortal sins. And so there were serious sins. These are sins such as murder, suicide, adultery, blasphemy, idolatry. It was taught and it was said, in fact, it's still said in the Roman Catholic uh, theology today, that if you have deliberately committed such sins, these result in eternal death. They're not really forgivable. Whereas other sins, those venial sins, those simple sins of the flesh, they could be forgiven. And it's particularly this teaching, this doctrine, that has really caused so much anguish when Christians convicted of their sin have wondered if they've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit or the sin that leads to death. Because what does it mean with respect to the sins of one's youth? Or when you first confessed your faith in Christ but then turned around and did something so terribly wicked? What does it mean about the one who is a Christian and has embraced the faith in Jesus Christ, but then at a certain time of their life, they're just blocked out God's commands and then turned around and committed such terrible sin before being confronted with that at a later stage. Could he ever be forgiven? Or was it too late? And would there be no hope left? Well, you can understand, brothers and sisters, that this interpretation of what a sin that leads to death might be, it has struck terror into the hearts of many people over the years. But is it true? Is it possible to sin so badly, so seriously, that God can never forgive you? Well, no. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, for example, what it says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8, verse 18, sorry, Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. Or, and we read from 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the scripture is very clear on this. There is no sin that is so great, we are told, there is no sin that it cannot be covered by the blood of Jesus when we come to him in repentance. And this is why Noah the drunkard could be saved. This is why Moses, who had murdered an Egyptian, could not only be forgiven of that, but could later on go on to lead God's people into the promised land. This is why David, who committed both murder and adultery, when he pleaded with God, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me, as we sang in Psalm 51, that God heard that prayer and he was fully forgiven. This is why Paul, a persecutor of the church, he could be redeemed. And this is why we too can be assured that when we come to God in repentance, pleading for forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we will be forgiven. And in fact, 1 John chapter 5, this is also what it emphasizes in that whole context about the sin leading to death, where it speaks so very clearly, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So the idea that there are some sins that are too serious to be forgiven and no longer able to be covered in the blood of Jesus, well, that's clearly wrong. And so it's necessary, therefore, that we understand what 1 John chapter 5 means with this sin that leads to death differently. And so how are we going to find that answer? Well, one thing to do is to look at, this, at it in its context. And the other thing to do is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We'll be doing both of those things. First thing we're going to do is turn to a clearer passage of Scripture that we're together. Matthew 5, and then we'll go back to 1 John 5. Sorry, Matthew 12, and then back to 1 John 5. So first of all, then, one, Matthew chapter 12. Well, in Matthew chapter 12, there's a dispute about who Jesus really is. Earlier, we didn't read this, but earlier in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, Lord Jesus had entered the synagogue on a Sabbath day. He met a man who had a withered hand. At that time, the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They asked Jesus this because they want to accuse him of sin. But Jesus showed himself to be Lord of the Sabbath, and in doing so, he showed himself, he proved himself to be the Messiah himself. And he healed this man. But the Pharisees refused to believe in Jesus. Matthew 12 verse 14 says that they actually went out of the synagogue and they conspired together to kill him, to destroy him. Then in verse 22, the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees becomes even stronger. I'm going to read again, verse 22 to 24. Then a demon-oppressed demon man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? 
But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And so this is what's happened. Jesus has healed a man who's demon-possessed. He proves that he is the Christ, that the demons were forced to submit to him. But the Pharisees, who were actually the spiritual leaders of God's people, they did not simply say then, oh, we just don't know how this all happened. No, they went far further than this. When they saw what Jesus had done and they could not deny the miracle he had done by casting out this demon, they turned around and they threw this back at Jesus and said, it's by Satan, Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that you're casting these demons out. In other words, they're saying, he's not on the side of God, he's on the side of the devil. That was their sin. And in these words about sin against the Holy Spirit, Jesus is warning against this sin. First of all, he explains to them how foolish and illogical the claim really was. He says, well, if, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself and his kingdom is not going to stand. Verse 26. He says this in verse 28. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I've missed a few other things here because I'm just really focused here on the sin against the Holy Spirit. And so he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And if this is true, and it was, well, what did they need to do? They needed to recognize who Jesus is. They needed to repent of their sin. And they needed to look to Jesus and say, truly, you are the Son of God, the Christ. Jesus says, but if you're not going to do that, and if you're going to say that I'm on the side of the devil, well, understand this. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever that does not gather with me scatters. That's verse 30. And see, this is the specific context where he speaks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, 32 then. Therefore, I tell you. And you hear that word, therefore. In other words, on the basis of what I've just told you, therefore, I tell you, every sin of blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. With these words, the Lord Jesus gives the strongest warning possible to the Pharisees and to those who reject Him. They reject not only Him, they're rejecting the Holy Spirit who's working through Him. What did Jesus come to do? He had come to bring salvation. He'd come to bring deliverance. He'd come to rescue his people from the oppression of the evil one. But these Pharisees were saying to the people, they were saying, don't go to Jesus for your salvation because he's not of God, but he's of the devil. And so Jesus is saying, you better watch out what you're saying here because if you commit the sin of deliberate unbelief, and where you openly and totally reject God's work of salvation and instead call this the work of Satan. There's no salvation for you. He's not saying they'd done it. And we know that in, in time, many priests and Pharisees came to faith in Jesus. But he's given a very strong warning here. And that's a warning that still stands today. And that's why it's in Holy Scripture. 
You see, when we get to the sin against the Holy Spirit, we're very quick to, to quickly minimize what Jesus is saying here and saying, look, we all understand here is that don't worry. If you're a Christian, you haven't, are not able to commit that sin. And that's true. That's my theme. But there is still a warning here in Scripture. One of the things we understand from this as well is that Jesus had just said, he who does not gather with me scatters. And so Jesus is also warning here and saying, well, you can't just sit on the fence forever either. You need an answer to that question of who is this Jesus? Yes, it may take time for you to embrace the truths of the gospel. That's okay. That's not sin against the Holy Spirit. It may take time. It may take years sometimes to really understand and to embrace and to be convicted of the forgiveness of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins and life in Christ Jesus. Many of God's people go through a time of questioning, probing, of wondering, is it all true and how does it all fit together? But Jesus also says this, the time must come for you to give your yes and your amen to the gospel promises of God. Because ultimately, the, truth, the, answer, the, the alternative is to reject him. And if you knowingly and deliberately do this, having tasted the heavenly gift, having tasted the goodness of God, this is how Hebrews 6 puts it, then if you reject the promise of God's covenant, and then if you harden your heart against this, then Jesus is saying, watch out. You're playing with the fire of hell. Because be warned, because if you reject the Christ, there is no sacrifice for sin left. And then ultimately it may be found that you've sinned against the Holy Spirit. And you've died in that sin that leads to death. And so there's a warning for the Pharisees here. It's a warning for us. But then what about verse 32? Chapter 12, verse 32. Because this is, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, this is Jesus, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Isn't the Lord Jesus true God, just as the Holy Spirit is? If you speak against the Son, don't you also speak against the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, well, yes, you do. But what our Lord Jesus is referring to here was the Pharisees' rejection of him in a state of humiliation before he'd gone to the cross, before he'd risen from the dead, before he'd been exalted from the right hand of God. And inasmuch as their rejection was a rejection of the gospel due to ignorance or due to a failure to see Christ for who he really is, well, surely there's forgiveness. A person can still turn to Christ and be saved. So also why when our Lord Jesus Christ was going on His way to the cross, He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And we can see that the only need to think, for example, the Apostle Paul, formerly being a persecutor of the church, to see the wideness and the depth of God's grace and of the fullness of His forgiveness. But for those who do know him, but who willfully and deliberately harden their hearts, who deliberately and willfully block their ears, who deliberately and willfully reject the gospel, 
and who do what they can as an enemy of Christ and as an enemy of the gospel to try to tear people, others, away from the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. For them, there is that warning. Be careful, lest you sin against the Holy Spirit. And so that's Matthew 12. Now I just want us to go back then to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. But there are others who did not believe that Jesus is the Christ. And therefore, the evidence was there that they had not been born of God. And this is really important. Remember what I've been speaking and what I've been preaching about from, from Matthew 12. Who was it who had committed that sin against the Holy Spirit? Those who did not embrace Christ as Lord and Savior and who deliberately and were deliberately seeking to, to, to confuse people and to tell them that he, Christ was actually on the side of Satan. But what we learn as we go through 1 John is you had similar people working in the church in his days. Others who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. And therefore, they had the evidence that they had not been born of him. 1 John 2, verse 18 and 19. Children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. That's the perseverance of the saints, by the way. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And then verse 22 and 23, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. It's this then that appears to be that sin that leads to death. And it's this sin that John tells them not to pray about. Because ultimately these people have proven of themselves that they were not true brothers. They had not been born of God in the first place. And that's the way that our fathers at the Synod of Dor back in the 1600s also understood the sin that leads to death. They then saw the sin that leads to death in much the same way as we understand what the Lord Jesus Christ meant by the sin against the Holy Spirit. And they conclude that this sin can only be committed by the reprobate. It can only be committed by those who are not God's elect. It cannot, this sin cannot be committed by someone who's seeking, who wants their forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. It simply cannot be. Because that is the work of God's Holy Spirit within us. In chapter 5, rejection of errors number 4, the Armenians said, True regenerate believers can commit the sin that leads to death or the sin against the Holy Spirit. And the Reformed Fathers of Dort refuted this and said, Well, the same Apostle John, after speaking of those who commit the sin that leads to death and forbidding prayer for them, he immediately adds, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, namely with that kind of sin. That sin that leads to death. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 
And therefore, while the Bible is teaching about the sin that leads to death and the sin against the Holy Spirit is a serious warning against those who do not believe and who stubbornly reject Christ and the gospel and who vehemently fight against Christ and the gospel, God's people may rest in the enduring comfort that God will not permit His elect to sin against the Holy Spirit. And so we'll see this further in our second point, an enduring comfort. So we've been making our way through the Kanzadort, and, and some people have the impression that Kanzadort deals with, with doctrinal teachings that, that do not really have an, much of an impact on your faith and your daily walk with God. It's, it's a little bit like, well, it's kind of interesting, but that's about all. But as we've made our way through the canons, however, we have seen again and again just how relevant and how pastoral these teachings really are. And that is again the case in chapter 5, article 6. The Arminians were teaching, and many people still teach this today, that Christians can not only fall into serious sins, but they can fall away so fully and so completely that they lose their salvation altogether. And in that context, they'll use what the Bible says about the sin that leads to death or the sin against the Holy Spirit and say that, well, this can be committed by someone who was previously born again. But if that was true, where would our comfort be? Where would you receive that assurance of your salvation? Not just for now but for all time. Our comfort and our assurance would only be as strong as we feel within ourselves. But that's not true comfort at all. And that would either lead us to pride or to despair. But where then does our comfort lie? Well, our comfort, the Canons of Dort reminds us, our comfort lies in the conviction that God Himself would not permit His elect to be lost. It is God who holds onto us. It is God who promises that He will always hold us and that He will never let us go. Yes, John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so this is then what we confess in, in Article 6 of chapter 5. I'm going to read this again. For God who is rich in mercy according to the unchangeable purpose of His election, does not completely withdraw His Holy Spirit from His own, even in their deplorable fall. So even in those such serious sins, He does not take His Holy Spirit completely from us. Reading on. Neither does He permit them to sink so deep that they fall away from the grace of adoption and a state of justification, or commit the sin unto death or the sin against the Holy Spirit, and totally deserted by Him, plunge themselves into eternal ruin. Why don't we plunge ourselves into eternal ruin? Because we God's people are not and will not be totally deserted by Him. Even if we fall into sin and that sin is deplorable, when we turn to God and we seek the forgiveness from Him, God will hear. God will forgive. Because our election and our salvation is not based on us, but on God. He is rich in mercy. He is unchanging in His purpose of election. And He will hold on to His own so that they will not fall from the grace of adoption or the state of justification. So we will not be counted as those who are not God's people, but we will continue to be His in Jesus Christ. 
and so that we'll always be found just and righteous through Christ. And that's why for God's people, what the Bible teaches about the sin that leads to death against the Holy, and the sin against the Holy Spirit, it should not leave us in total despair. But with the warning comes hope. And if you go back to those verses, you'll see that God himself gives hope, even when he speaks of this sin. Matthew 12, verse 31. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. That's what Jesus said first. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But watch out when it comes to that sin against the Holy Spirit, for that is someone who is not one of God's people, but that is someone who follows Satan. And 1 John 5, verse 16. If anyone, and this is the point that he's trying to make here, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit that sin that does not lead to death. And why does he say this? Because he already had this just before this. Verse 14, this is the confidence that we have towards him. That what confidence? That if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. Verse 13. And, verse 14, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask. So this is the promise. And so then it says, so then when you do sin, or when you are sitting with another who has sinned, and then when you come to God in repentance and plead for forgiveness, God will hear and He will forgive. The promise of forgiveness stands if you turn to Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven. That's the gospel promise for you. And that's the gospel promise that you are to share with your brother and sister, especially when they have fallen into sin, yes, even serious sin, and wonder if there's still forgiveness available to them. Christ's warning about sin against the Holy Spirit is a serious warning to those who rebel against Him, to those who deliberately block their ears, who harden their hearts to the gospel message, to those who are Christ's enemies. In that sense, we ought to fear this. Because it speaks of the justice and the severity of God. And in that sense, we ought to warn against those who are hardening themselves in unbelief of the wrath that is to come. Romans 2 verse 14 says, Do not presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, since God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But for those of us who are God's children, our security is not in ourselves, but in the grace and the mercy of God. And therefore, the message of the gospel is this, Isaiah 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he might have compassion on him, and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Amen.